The Find Your True North podcast and blog are dedicated to exploring intuition and how we use it in our businesses and lives. Together, we'll learn how to sharpen our intuition to make our daily decision-making easier, we'll find out how to hear the language of intuition, and we'll learn how to remove the emotional, mental, and physical barriers we might have to hearing it. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Ezzy Spencer, a published author, speaker, podcast host, and coach. Ezzy trained as a lawyer and has experience in government, research, and nonprofit sectors. She then went back to school for her PhD, where she focused on women's well-being and justice after violence. At some point in her career, she realized she was out of touch with herself, which she'll tell you all about in our episode. Her journey led her to create Lunar Abundance, a concept that uses the moon cycles to marry intellect with intuition, and she now shares her work worldwide. In our conversation today, we talk about her journey from lawyer to Lunar Abundance, how we tend to equate struggle with success, marrying the intellect with intuition instead of treating them as separate entities, using the moon as a mirror and timekeeper, and the difference between how Australian culture and American culture perceive intuition. If you'd like to learn more about the Find Your True North podcast, go to www.intuition.today. And now, enjoy the episode. So, Ezzy, why don't we start with the topic of intuition, and why don't you dive into your definition of intuition? What does it actually mean to you? Well, for me, intuition is very much about connecting with my inner knowing, so my inner wisdom, that deep knowing that I have within myself about who I really am and my place in the world. And so then when I'm connected in with that inner compass, I'm able to make much more aligned decisions and take really um, discerning action in order to get to where I would like to go to and also to really, you know, feel good, feel comfortable, uh, feel energized um, within myself when I'm navigating the world. Hmm. I like that. So when you experience your intuition, where do you feel it? How does it feel to you? Well, it's really a physical sensation in my body. And I have had a, a background, um, you know, working in a very cerebral profession. I trained as a lawyer and I worked in the law before I started to do my current work, which is much more intuitively guided. And so one of the things which I identified within myself was that I was living from the neck up. You know, I was really stuck in my head. I was stuck in the in the thinking mind, if you will, the rational, logical mind, which the law was just a fantastic training ground for that. And I think there's certainly a place for it. Mm -hmm. But what I've really found within myself is that I've needed to come back into my physical body and to feel the physical sensations in my body in order to have a much richer experience of life and to tap into that inner wisdom and inner knowing. So my intuition can really manifest in many different parts of my body. I would say that, you know, the gut is the most obvious one. Um, and I'm sure many people identify with that, that sense of having, you know, the gut feel. It's in the English language mm -hmm. for a reason. And I can physically feel in my stomach if something feels a little off. Um, but if something is feeling really positive and like a big yes for me to keep going forward with, then I may, for instance, feel an expansion in my chest um, or, you know, I might feel a sense of relaxation through my shoulders. Um, so it really does depend. It moves around in different parts of my body as my body gives me sing signals. 
um, about different ways to, to proceed or, you know, different bits of information about a particular situation. Yeah, it, I love how dynamic it, it sounds very dynamic and that it's ever changing. And have you noticed patterns like, you know, you might feel it in your gut if it's about people or you might feel it if, in your chest if it's about situations? Have you noticed differing patterns or is it kind of a crapshoot and shows up? How it <laughs> <wants> to? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. I would say that the pattern that I would notice uh, more than anything else is more of a sense of expansion and relaxation if something is a yes um, or more of a contraction um, if it's a if it's a no or, or just an exercise caution in this scenario when I'm checking in with myself um, about a, a, a certain um, you know set of circumstances or, or a decision I need to make or a way to proceed so that's more of the prevailing pattern is the expansion or the contraction traction um rather than the specific part of my body Mm -hmm. okay I got it and just to go back to something we were talking about just before the interview is this contrast um that you've experienced or that we've both experienced going from working in the legal field to working in an area that's a little (laughs) little far (laughs) from the legal field as far as uh cerebral and um heady so Talk, talk a little bit about what you were doing and what you're doing now so our listeners understand where you were and where you are now. Yeah, so uh, as you said and I mentioned before, I'd started out working in the legal profession, very left brain, very intellectual profession and one which um, I think I gravitated towards because that was really my natural wiring. Um, you know, I was very uh, you know, mentally stimulated, if you will, by working in the law. But I did have that sense of something elemental that was really missing in my life. And I really didn't know exactly what that was. I wouldn't have been able to articulate it in the way that I feel that I can now. And looking back, I realized that what I was feeling was a sense of disconnection from myself. I felt disconnected from my body. I felt disconnected from my own cycles and my rhythm. I felt disconnected from really nature and my bigger environment um, that I was living in. You know, I was very much in the in that push and hustle of the of the legal world, and I was living in a city. And you know, I was working hard during the day and going out and partying hard um, at night. And so. You know, I just, I just had that that lurking sense within myself, just a, an, a yearning um, for something else, something missing, and so I started to um, to journal about it. And I think that keeping a journal can be a really, you know, good way to start to to tune into yourself, start to connect with your intuition. And I started to, you know, at night go home and really try to make sense of what it was that I was feeling and try to make sense of my place in the world. Um, and at some point, I don't know exactly exactly when or even exactly why, I started to put in my journal little drawings of where the moon was in the sky. And so I've always been fascinated by the moon. Um, a lot of women are fascinated by the moon and a lot of men too, actually. Um, but I really started to, to, to go outside at night and look up and see where the moon was in the sky. 
And the moon cycle lasts for about a month and it goes through eight main phases in that month. And the full moon is one of those eight phases. And it's the phase that many of us are familiar with because we often tend to sort of, you know, just notice the moon um, at that time, you know, when the moon is so visible uh, at night. But that's only one point, actually, the, the zenith, the climactic point, the midway point of the moon cycle is the full moon. And it does, the moon does work through all of these phases over the course of the moon cycle over the month. So what I would do is I'd put in my journal, you know, draw in the little, you know, the moon phase where it was. And then I started to notice over time that there were these correlations between how I was feeling and say even, you know, what I wanted to do, what energy levels my body had um, and where the moon was in the sky. And because the moon cycle only goes for about a month. It's a very trackable cycle. It's an observable cycle. And I did notice over some moon cycles that those correlations that I was noticing started to repeat and they started to form patterns and those patterns became predictable. And I was fascinated by this. Because how long did thought, it take you to notice that? Like, was it years or months? Or how quickly did you start to see your own patterns? Yeah, over a few moon cycles, over a few months. Because I think if it had taken years, I probably would have lost interest. Mm -hmm. You know, it was something which I was experimenting with. You know, I was really kind of seeking. I was looking around and I was also, you know, looking within myself. And now I work with the moon as a mirror to really like come back within myself. Um, So, you know, it really provided me that opportunity for reflection and self-inquiry and also um, just this natural timekeeping of, you know, just just a month um, to be able to see those rhythms, the ebbs and flows over time. And so what I then found is that, you know, I went on this, this, this real inner journey and I went deeper and deeper within myself and started to really check in and to ask myself, you know, I, I, what is it that I'm really, you know, what is it that my heart is really craving? What is it that I'm really desiring to do? And I realized that even though I had all of those external trappings of success, you know, working in the law, um, and, you know, I didn't hate it, um, but it wasn't actually on a deeper level, you know, deeply fulfilling for me. And so I, I guess I grew that sense of self-awareness um, through this lunar practice. And I actually realized that, you know, the aspects of the work, which I really enjoyed, were aspects like researching, like writing, like giving presentations and teaching. And so I sidestepped into legal academia and I started a PhD at this time, working on women's well-being after experiencing violence and navigating the legal system and really tuning in um, at that point to, to the feelings and emotions that can come to women who are experienced by women when they come to the law to seek justice for violence, um, particularly domestic violence and sexual violence. And so I started to work with a legal theory, which was very much about foregrounding um, emotional well-being. And that was, you know, it's a pretty innovative um, concept in the law, which again, you know, is very rational, very logical. Um, and so, you know, really bringing in emotional well-being as a relevant criterion for legal and policy decision-making was something I started to explore during the, um, the PhD in terms of the subject matter. At the same time, I had more flexibility in my schedule. So instead of needing to be at a desk for, you know, X number of hours, I had that ability to start to really listen 
to what my body really wanted um, and what it needed at certain times. And I started to be able to listen to honor and then really follow on from you know what my intuition was telling me and the own my own ebbs and flows and I started to find that I was actually uh, really a lot more effective with my work I did my PhD um, in record time in um, in three just a little over three years I got a perfect result which was wow. very to me you know counterintuitive um, from everything that I'd been taught before about how success needed to look. Um, you know, for me, I'd always been trained that success was the result of constant hard work and struggle. And whilst I really felt like, you know, and I do still feel like we absolutely need to work, we need to be very you know, strategic and effective and productive with our working, we can also really allow ourselves at times to take the foot off the gas and listen to ourselves on a deeper level. And we might then find, in fact, this has been the case for me, that the results can be even better than they were before, but we can feel better through the experience. So so this was fascinating to me. So this was all going on and I started to talk about this and with my friends firstly, um, and then other people started to come to me because they wanted to learn more about this. I started to run workshops. Uh, it was all for free at first because this was very much a passion for me. I was just so fascinated by how my life was starting to um, unfold in this very, you know, mysterious and yet, you know, really magical way. And then people started to assume this is what I did for my job. And they started to ask me how much I charged for my sessions. And so I did over time build up a word of mouth, um, you know, coaching practice and business and doing events. And then that over time grew into a full-time business. So this is what I currently do now uh, for work. I write and I teach and, and, and I work with people one-on-one uh, -on -one and in groups around, you know, really tapping in to your own inner knowledge and wisdom. Um, and then lots of practical applications of that as well, like working with that in business and in the creative process and, and in many other ways. So it sounds like your profession found you. That's kind of beautiful, like how people just started asking you to coach and assuming you were already coaching and, and kind of putting you in that position. And did you even know that you wanted to do that? Had you accepted that for yourself or, or was it kind of a surprise? What I really wanted to do was I wanted to make uh, a difference in the world. I wanted to have a positive impact. Um, so I was leading with that. And I knew that I loved working with women and I don't work exclusively with women, but I do tend to work with more of these, you know, feminine themes, if you will, like of feelings and emotions and intuition and well-being. So that was always my pilot light. Um, and so I feel like I didn't start out thinking um, I want to have a business working with the moon cycles. I think if anyone had said to me 10 years ago, that's what I would be doing. That would be the result. That would be the outcome of this just personal practice that I was playing with in my journal at night. I would have just laughed um, because it was so far outside my frame of reference, what it is that I'm doing now. So I very much followed the crumbs the whole way through the process. But I have also put myself out there and I, people did come to me, but it wasn't just through me, you know, sitting at home or sitting on my meditation cushion thinking about it. It was also me, a product of me going out into the world and offering what it was uh, that I was learning and discovering and sharing generously. And then the abundance really has flowed from that. 
That's amazing. So you and you just published your book, uh, Lunar Abundance. And mm-hmm. one of the themes I noticed is you talking about marrying the intellect and intuition. Mm-hmm. So, and that's I think that's a challenge for anyone living in Western culture in particular, um, because our our culture so much reveres the intellect and the logical and analytical. So how do you marry the intellect and the intuition? Mm. Well, I have a, a a practice which really helps me to do that in my own life and my own work on a you know daily, weekly basis. And um I feel like it is, you know, for me it's it's very much um about working with the two parts of self and I talk about um the yang and the yin as modes of operating and so I would put intellect more into that yang category of being more around you know the thinking the rational the logic the actions the moving forwards the initiation the giving and then I put the intuitive uh, side of things more into the yin category and by that I mean it's more around the being the resting the reflecting the restoring um, allowing yourself to go more with the flow and opening up, receiving creative inspiration, um, and not needing to, you know, be uh, going a hundred miles an hour all the time. Uh, being more present, being more in the moment, and so the way that I work with that in my life is that uh, out of the eight moon phases in the moon cycle, which I mentioned before, I classify eight of those moon phases as yang and, oh, sorry, four of the eight as yang and four out of the eight as yin. And so I work with the moon as a natural timekeeper. I don't suggest that the moon makes us do anything, but in working with the moon phases in this way, basically I've set up in my own life, my own schedule, my own rhythm, a kind of natural uh, reminder, a permission slip, which is constantly popping up for me, depending on when the phase is um, happening in the sky. And so the moon cycle starts at the new moon and the new moon phase will last three or four days. And that's a yang phase because it starts the cycle. So for me in the new moon phase, it'll be an opportunity for me to be doing going, doing all those yang activities um, and to you know be really perhaps leaning more into the intellect when I'm working on a book, for instance, you know, that's a project that I'm working on. Those, um, the yang phases might be more where I'm into more of the structuring of that particular project. It might be more where I'm sort of, you know, really um, getting myself to think logically about a chapter or think logically about the overall structure of a book. And then the next phase, so remember the the new moon phase, each one of these phases lasts for three or four days apiece because there's eight moon phases in a month-long cycle. So each one will last three or four days each. Um, So the first phase, the yang phase, three or four days, will move then into a yin phase because the yang and the yin phases of the moon come in pairs. And so the yin phase, again, will be more of an intuitive time for me. And so once I've set up that structure or that container of the yang, the yin will be an opportunity to allow myself to flow, to really listen to my intuition, to not necessarily have, uh, you know, a 
predestined outcome um, in my, you know, writing for that day. Maybe I've got three hours where I plan to sit down and write using the book example again, you know, but I'm not looking at needing to, you know, bang out a thousand words in chapter three on that day. That would be more of a yang way of looking at it. A more intuitive way is just to sit down at my computer and see what flows in those three hours during a yin phase. And so many of us, I think, have had that example of in our lives where we've been nutting over a problem, like a really thorny issue. And, you know, I'm a real problem solver. I've got that legal brain as well, you know, where my mind will be so active. But then when I really allow myself to step back and if no words are flowing, to shut the laptop and and go for a walk and be out in nature and not beat myself up about that. So many of us will find that's when the inspiration will really strike Mm -hmm. because we're open and relaxed and receptive and allowing ourselves to listen to, um, you know, that that inner knowing, um, allowing ourselves to receive the guidance from our natural environment or from the world around us. And so, um, so you know, the that phase is like uh, it's just taking a moment to receive whatever may come while the yang phase is the more active phase. Absolutely. And so many of us and, you know, myself included, are really okay with the yang phases and really okay <laughs> with the yang way of being. Uh-huh. What I found that I need to practice and many of the people that work with me also tend to find they need to practice the taking the foot off the gas and allowing themselves to be open and receptive and allowing themselves to listen, to go into that state of deep listening, um, not constantly be sort of moving forward and trying to work it out mentally. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And, and I also want to go back to something that, you know, in the new moon, you're also setting an intention. Is that correct? Absolutely. So there's a couple of levels that you can come in at in the in the lunar practice, okay. uh, which is um, which is the subject of the book. And so I am. So the first way is to really work with the yang and the yin phases, which which come in pairs throughout. So it'll be three or four days of yang, and then three or four days of yin, and then three or four days of yang, and then three or four days of yin throughout the entire month. So about half the week will be yang, give or take, and half the week will be yin, give or take. Um, but then there is the next layer that you can work with within within the practice, which which I share as well, which is that you can set an intention at the new moon phase and then sit with that intention throughout the entire lunar cycle, throughout the entire month. And so um, there is that opportunity to get that sense of clarity about what it is that you'd like to cultivate in your life. And that might actually be, you know, a deeper connection with your intuition or, you know, more of an ability to rest and relax and open because it sounds simple. um, But, you know, the simple things aren't always the easiest things in practice. And so that's why this really is a practice. And so it's, the, you know, setting an intention and putting out there into, into the universe um, what it is that you would like to, to receive or cultivate within yourself or within your life is quite a yang activity. That's why it happens at the new moon phase, the yang phase. And then being with that intention, returning to that seed that you've planted at the new moon phase without any attachment to the outcome of that is quite a yin activity that you can work with as well throughout the entire moon cycle. Wow. So the other thing I want to come back to is, um, you know, you talk about the moon isn't going to tell you what to do, but it acts as a mirror. 
um, speak into that a little bit more. Mm. So it acts as, at least in, in my practice and the way that I work with the moon, um, which is effective for me, is that I work with the moon as a natural timekeeper and also as a mirror. And it's really a kind of a therapeutic metaphor, if you will, because I find that in this, I mean, there's so much that's symbolic around the moon and so many, you know, artists and sages um, and mystics through the ages have had this, you know, experience and relationship with the with the moon as a muse in this way or as a mirror and so really I in the same way that the moon reflects the sun's light back down to us on earth we can also work with the moon as a mirror to reflect ourselves back to ourselves so I find you know that idea of like oh the moon made me do it or you know I'm I'm so stressed or emotional because it's the full moon um is not I think that's that that's quite a disempowering way to look at the the moon cycle and the magic that the moon can really bring into your life for me I like to really work with the moon in that sense of you know it's that trigger whenever I see it in the sky and actually going outside at night and looking up and engaging with the moon is a way to really can reconnect with our natural environment all these beautiful you know cycles and elements of our world um, which we can become disconnected from, you know, when we're in the busy sort of urban office environment, you know, going outside at night and looking up and working with the moon as a mirror, as that trigger to really then come within and to see, you know, what is it that's really going on within you at this time? What are you feeling you know, and I work with feelings as, as physical sensations. So many of us, when we're so in our heads because our, our job requires it or because our society or your culture really pushes us down that road, um, you know, that sense of disembodiment is so profound, I think, um, for so many of us. So to have that reminder, to see the moon at night, to be triggered, to come within at that point and to go, what is it that I'm really feeling in my body? That's right. You know, <laughs> this is a way for me to feel really anchored and grounded here on the earth, to be more present, um, to really be able to connect in with that deeper wisdom that my body has with me, um, you know, or has for me. And so the moon is a mirror for me in that way. And then also that natural timekeeper. So there's always going to be another moon cycle. It won't run out. Um, that's what I love about the moon. I didn't make up the moon cycle. It's just there in the sky and it repeats. So to me, it represents as well, you know, the essence of abundance in that there's always going to be another new moon. Um, there's always going to be another full moon. It's just one of these beautiful cycles of life where the moon will just continue to go from darkness. It'll wax up to, to light at the full moon and then it will wane back down to darkness again at the new moon. And there's nothing wrong or good or bad about any of those phases. Many times we like to, you know, shy away from the darkness. It, has, it tends to have like a, a negative connotation for us, that sense of, of not being able to, to see exactly what's going on, to not be able to necessarily have clarity about the path ahead or the exact next steps um, that we need to take in life. Um, the reality is, is that we don't necessarily always know what's going to be around the corner. You know, life has plenty of surprises for all of us all the time. And it's really the way that we are able to, you know, sit with that mystery, to be to be with the unknown um, and to feel 
you know, have that sense. In, and that can be really, really uncomfortable to be in the darkness, in the unknown, to be connected in with our intuition, even when our intuition doesn't necessarily make sense for us. And so working with the moon cycle in this way, coming back to that sense of therapeutic metaphor, it gives us this opportunity to practice moving through this cycle of darkness at the new moon up to light at the full moon, back down to darkness again at the new moon over and over again. And for us to have that sense of being, you know, connected in with those with those cycles of, of transition and change and impermanence and yet, you know, that sense of things just continuing to roll on as they always have and how they always will. I think uh, I think your point about being uncomfortable with uh, the unknown or ambiguity or not having the answers is a is a good one. I think we're kind of trained to know the answers. I mean, even at a young age, when you're called on, you're supposed to know. It's not okay to say I don't know. You know. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious. So, how is your profession or your work? Well, this is kind of a, this is a two part question. Um, specifically to you how is your work received when you talk about i you know i teach people how to work with lunar cycles you know do you do you have a good response when you talk to someone who's not already interested in your work um and the reason i ask that is i'm just curious in such a you know in in australian culture and in the u.s you know i imagine that when you're trying to explain your work if you're talking to somebody who doesn't have a context for it or is, you know, very left-leaning in, in their thinking, they may not receive it very well, or there may be a lot of questions or scorn. So I'm just curious how how it uh, gets received when you're talking about it. Yeah, it's such a good question. And I certainly feel... Um, yeah, there's a couple, a couple of a couple of things that I'll speak to in that. And the first is that my approach has not been to proselytize or to go out and to actively change people's minds, if you will. I would say that's more of a, a yang way of operating to use that to use that language again, or it's a more of an intellectual way of sort of mounting an argument or you know having all of the reasons as to why your case is correct and then persuading at the end. And I can certainly do all that with my training in the law. Um, but what I found really is a way for me to honor more of this yin part of myself, more of the feminine part of myself, the more of that intuitive part of myself is to really um, you know, embody what it is that I am learning and what I have learned and what I'm sharing and teaching and then to draw towards me the kind of people who are really curious about what it is that I'm doing. And so I have now a lot of people who work with me who were, you know, from my previous left brain legal life and they looked at me and they saw me over time and at first they thought what I was doing was really quite strange. But then they saw the transformation that I was able to affect in my own life. And I used to be very stressed. You know, I had anxiety a lot because I tried to control my environment and my circumstances a lot. I was very future focused um, and it came from really a place of fear. It came from a lack of trust in my environment and in the ability of the world to really support me. And so 
I have gently over time started to unwind that programming and that patterning within myself. And so that has meant that, you know, I am less stressed now. I am much more relaxed. I do have a better experience in life. I have got a financially abundant business where I'm able to support myself doing exactly what I love to do and I'm location independent and I am really in my element and I radiate that sense of joy and happiness. And so people who initially thought, oh, you're a little bit, you know, you're, what you're doing is really quite strange and now coming to me and looking at me and my life and what I do and they tend to say, oh, you're actually really lucky that you get to do this. What are you doing and how can I learn how to do that as well? And so that tends to be my approach um, is that I will really focus on serving the people who want to learn from me and then I have, and I've got no shortage of people who are wanting to come closer and learn more about the process. So then they can also have this in their own lives. Um, so that would be, you know, the first thing that I would say about that. I mean, and I mean, the, the, the second thing though, is that, you know, I really, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm really not out there to try to, um, actively challenge, um, you know, other, other people to look at life in a different way. It's much more invitational. And I feel that when people are, you know, not needing, um, to, um, to, to, to mount their own defenses and to have lots of, you know, different excuses as they, you know, why they don't need to engage, you know, it, it sort of takes away, um, that sense of, um, of, I guess, of, of defensiveness or, or critique on the part of other people. Um, and look, at the end of the day, if people don't get what I, what I do, it's okay. You know, it, it's not for them. And, you know, I just want everyone in their, to be living the best life that they can possibly lead. And, um, you know, if my work is not their cup of tea, I just move on. So, you know, it sounds like you're, the people who want to work with you are attracted as much, if not more so, by the product of your process, which is you and your abundant life and your happiness. That's what it sounds like. Absolutely. And the people who aren't interested, a lot of the time when that resistance comes from people close to you, like your family or your friends or your colleagues um, or your mentors, a lot of the time what they're really concerned about is you and they want to give you very well-meaning advice and they want to help you to stay safe. And so recognizing that when those people are trying to, you know, come at you with some resistance, um, recognizing that it is coming from a good place and that it is possible then to demonstrate that, you know, you're actually in a great place. Um, that, that resistance tends to, tends to fall away in my experience. Um, that's right. So, you know, those are the people who are sort of personally resistant. And you will have people who are personally resistant because, you know, on paper it looks really strange going from working in the law to running a business on and writing books about the moon. Um but, you know, the, again, the other people who are, you know, potential clients or people who might be interested in the work, you know, exactly right. You know, they're either interested in it 
and so they come closer um, or they're not interested in it and so they move on. And both of those things are okay. So I'm also curious on your take on into, so the, the next part of this question is your take on intuition in your culture. You know, how is it treated in, in Australian culture, which, you know, it seems like it's U.S. and Australian culture is probably similar in a lot of ways and probably very different in a lot of ways. Um, so what's your feel for how the topic of intuition is treated in your culture? Australia has a pretty blokey culture, so a pretty masculine culture, um, if you haven't heard that term before. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, I think that it is, uh, that's the prevailing cultural norm, which that, you know, it is just about the... um, you know, more of the, the yang and, you know, the, the thinking way of doing things. And it tends to be, um, you know, Australia is a pretty small place. It's a big country geographically, but it tends to be, well, it is a small place in terms of population. There's only 23, 24 million people in Australia and it's geographically um, a long way away from many other parts of the West. It's a long way from the US, it's a long way from the UK and it tends to draw culturally from both the US and the UK. Um and it does tend to be um, a little conservative in some respects. And so um, I would say that it is not necessarily um, the accepted norm at all to work with intuition or flow in Australia. But having said that, I think that it's changing a lot because I feel like what's happening in Australia is something that's happening uh, in other parts, you know, of the global West, which is that um, women particularly, but not just women, are finding that this sort of old paradigm of living and working and pushing themselves um, to the brink of burnout and then trying to also spin the plates and manage family and having kids um, and you know, other parts of life as well, uh, is just not all that sustainable. So I think there is this groundswell in Australia of people looking for a better way. And I think that this move towards, you know, um, tapping into yourself and who you really are and what you really want to do and how you want to um, create a life for yourself and design a, a, a working arrangement for yourself, which really honours um, who you are and honours the very, you know, realistic demands of a contemporary modern life. Um, is part of where we're all moving to um, on that cultural level. And so there are a lot of, um, you know, women who are looking outside of that traditional, you know, setup outside of the establishment, outside of institutions um, to try to find better ways of navigating the world. And look, I mean, I think there's so much to be there's so much to be said on, on, on this topic and I don't think necessarily, you know, just individuals opting out of a system is going to, you know, change everything overnight. Um, you know, I think there are real structural challenges that need to be addressed at a higher regulatory level as well within Australia and, and certainly in other places in the world as well. 
Um, but I think we're just starting to see um, people really crave a better way of doing things and starting to vote with their feet um, in a way and starting to really come together. Um, and again, talking particularly here about female communities, um, you know, coming together and looking at different ways of different ways of doing business, different ways of collaborating, different ways of, of, of helping each other band together, rise up and honour these more, you know, feminine traits of feelings and emotions and intuition and really seeing how they can play out effectively in practice. Like it's not like it's um it, what's very interesting, some of the research um, around, um, you know, women in you know, feminine traits in, in workplaces, which we've traditionally sort of put in the in the female bucket, things again like intuition and feelings and emotions, actually tend to be the traits demonstrated by many um, you know, successful leaders, uh, regardless of gender. And so really claiming that and owning that and starting to foreground those qualities, I think, is part of a, a conversation that's starting in Australia and will only continue to grow in Australia. I feel like that's the same sense that I have of U.S. culture. And and to that end, you, you made a point about um, people wanting, people craving to come back to themselves, uh, to know themselves better and to understand their own purpose. Um, and I, I feel like I'm noticing the same thing here. I think most, a lot of us are noticing that, that we have a lot of friends, family members, associates who seem to be on the quest to find out why they're here or understand themselves deeper and better. And so I'm curious, why do you think that that's important right now? I, I know I have my own opinions about why that's important, but what's your take on, on why we need to know that? Well, I feel like we are going through such a change on this earth at mm -hmm. this time and that's not a new change I think you know we can uh, it's, it's human culture has gone through massive changes over millennia um, but if we're looking for instance just at the last couple of hundred years since the industrial revolution changed the way that we uh, operate with you know in our working environments and we look at the rise of you know feminism um, over the past couple of hundred years as well um, and then we look at the rise of, of, of technology and the way that technology is continuing to intersect uh, with our lives in new and changing evolving ways we're seeing that change really accelerate at this time in history and so I feel like for many of us, we're looking for these anchors where perhaps traditionally we've found them in, um, you know, out, outside of ourselves. Um, you know, we've perhaps traditionally we've found them in our, our, our world, which may seem predictable um, and, you know, in our families, in our tribes, in the, in the way that it, it works. And it used to be you'd go to school and, you know, then you'd go to, to university or college in the US and you'd get a good degree and then that would set you up for your career that you'd sit in and, you know, for your 30, 40 years and then you'd collect your retirement check and then that was it. And, of course, the world doesn't work like that anymore and the millennials that are coming through are looking at the world as it currently is and they're just saying it doesn't make sense what our parents did, what the baby boomer generation did and they can't get the guidance um, uh, from from their parents because the world looks so different than it did 
30 years ago. Um, it's just changing on, uh, you know, it's just changing so, so quickly. Um, so I definitely feel like these, um, these real anchor points that we used to have in our society, um, the anchor points around gender roles, for instance, is just changing so quickly. Um, and we're trying to make sense of it and we're trying to make sense of it collectively and we're trying to make sense of it individually. And we've also had at this you know, time to accompany this um, this rapid change in, um, in, in the way that our communities in the West at least are set up. We've had a falling away of the religious structures um, which tended to have um, much greater, you know, breadth and depth over the over the entire society, and obviously, you know, there are still um, you know, religious uh, communities um, throughout, uh, you know, all all, all countries um, in in the West as well. But it's you know that separation of church and state is happening, um, you know, at a much greater rate, where people in the Australian census, for instance, are so much more likely to describe themselves as spiritual as having any religious um, association. And that number is decreasing, you know, quite significantly and quite exponentially. So at the same time that we're having a huge change and shift in our external environment, community, world, technology, we've sort of lost some of those um, traditional anchor points along the way. And so people are saying, I think, well, where do I find that sense of grounding? Where do I find that sense of, of, of calm within myself? How do I chart these waters? And so, you know, the, 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 the real, you know, way is, of course, to find that within yourself. And that's always been the case, um, you know, but I think now we're being asked to really dive deeply within ourselves and to find out who we really are and to define our values for ourselves. And to, um, to, we have this tremendous freedom um, which is opening up to us. And I'm benefiting from this incredible freedom, having a kind of job which simply couldn't have existed five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, but it's possible for me now because of the nature of, of the internet. Um, and, you know, we're just, we're, we're, we're often, I think, you know, very scared of that freedom and what it entails. So that would be my, my take on it is that it is, um, it's just a, it's a necessity um, based on our very, very accelerating, um, you know, rate, nature of change and rate of change. Um, but we need to find an anchor somewhere. And the, the, the best anchor, you know, is, is our own hearts, It's our own gut. It's our own intuition. It's our own selves. I love the point about um, freedom being scary. I think that sometimes sometimes feeling like you don't have a choice is easier because then you don't have to take personal responsibility for it. <laughs> but if you wake up to the fact that you do have a choice and you do have control, then it's all on you. And there's, there's really nothing else to do, but take the responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, personal choice and responsibility is always going to intersect with those, um, you know, structural conditions as well. And so some people may have, um, you know, at least on at least on the surface, more opportunity to have more choice um, in a society, um, you know, an educated, wealthy white man, for instance, might actually have more choices um, than, say, someone who hasn't had the same opportunities and might experience, you know, discrimination on the basis of race or disability or class or a number of things. 
But I think that, you know, what I always, you know, in, encourage people to do is to find the places in your life where you do have agency, where you do have choice. And there's probably going to be a lot more there, even down to the point of how do you want to feel today? You know, how are you going to respond to a certain situation, which is, you know, just it's going to happen because life will continue to serve you things. Um, but how are you going to respond to that? And how will you chart the course through that in a way which is actually going to lead you towards a place where you can create your own best life? Hmm. That's beautiful. So do you have any other thoughts on intuition that I haven't asked you about? Anything that you'd like to share? Um, I mean, I think that it is a, um, I mean, it's such a fascinating topic. I'm really excited that you're doing this podcast. I'm really interested in listening to all of um, the other interviews that you do. I feel like, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, a lot of what I do find, because I also, you know, work in spiritual communities, is that intuition um, can sometimes be understood in, in in different ways and everyone has their own definition and that's, mm-hmm. and that's perfectly okay. Um, I find that sometimes when people are talking about, um, you know, intuitively knowing something, it might not actually be coming from within at all. It can actually be coming from external sources. Right, exactly. Um, and I think that – and I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I also – think it'll be interesting to chart this conversation as it moves forward um, around um, what what intuition really does mean and mm-hmm. how it is used and how it can be misused as well. Um, so, yeah, to, so to that end, I mean, this I love that you brought it up. This is partly a, a big research project, um, getting information <laughs> from people about how they experience their intuition and I think that you might be the first person who's brought up the fact that, you know, there's a lot of processes that happen that we lump into intuition because we can't explain it. Yeah. Um, And so you just touched on the idea that sometimes when it comes from external, it may not be intuition. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because we don't know how to explain it or maybe we're uncomfortable explaining it or or going, uh, if it's not intuition, then what is it? You know, going there. Uh, we just lump it into intuition because it's easier and we have at least a semi-understanding of of what intuition is. Um, Mm. So yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see over over the next year what kind of varying experiences people share and what it means for how we cultivate our own intuition. Because you're definitely right. Everyone that I've spoken to has a slightly different definition. but I think that you can start with one definition and expand to fit the rest of the spectrum with practice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's the underlying value, I think, uh, underlying values that you have, which will really inform the definition in a way. And I'm really interested in, in those underlying values and the underlying truths. Um, in anything, I like to I like to dig deep. I like to be a bit of a detective. I, I love to know what really makes people tick, um, and so it is a um, yeah very interesting journey. I'm doing more research and more thinking about this as well myself, and seeing how it plays out in different ways. I think it's going to be 
a very interesting evolving conversation. Cool. Well, I'll, I would love to see your notes and <laughs> hear more about what you discover. But before we sign off, I want to say your book, An Abundant Life Flourishing with the Cycles of the Moon, was just published in Australia, and it will be out in the U.S. Um, in the beginning of 2018, because apparently our publishers are slow. Um, but can you tell us real quick how a listener can uh, find your book online? Yeah, sure. So you can buy my book from my website and you can have it shipped from Australia if you're really interested in delving more into uh, my lunar practice and how I work with the moon to cultivate intuition and to, you know, navigate life um, in a way which is really, um, you know, joyful. And so my website is the place to do that. And my website is lunarabundance.com and lunar is spelled L-U-N-A-R abundance.com slash book is where you'll find the book. And then there's lots of other um you know, resources and, um, and material that you can download for free on the site as well if you're interested in taking a little peek into my work. Yeah, and I do have to say your book was beautiful. It was, um, I, I loved how it was a good mix of research and you had, I mean, you had resources and citations as well as personal experience and commentary. So it just, it flowed really well. The design was beautiful with the imagery and the color um, and then, of course, the information on, on designing an experience around moon cycles. And if if you're like many of us, and I think who who are if you're like many of us who have an interest in the moon and are drawn to it, then I think you're probably going to enjoy her book quite a bit. So, Ezzy, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate um, the time you've given to this interview. Yo, it's been my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks again to Ezzy Spencer for taking the time to share her thoughts today, and thank you for listening. To find out more about Ezzy, go to lunarabundance.com. To find out more about the Find Your True North podcast, go to www.intuition.today.